Hey there, this is AJ. I'm so glad you've joined us today on Faith for My Generation podcast. I want to remind you that our vision is to shake and shape a generation with the power of God's Word, and our mission is to create a resource of teachings that build strong faith in God. You know, that really is my prayer, that as you hear this message today, that the power of God's Word, anointed by the Holy Spirit, will stir up your most holy faith in Him so that you can be a light and a witness and a testimony of the living God in this earth. I pray that this message will richly bless you and increase you in spirit, soul, and in body. Now, let's get to the message. We're starting at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. If you got to grab your Bible, get your notepad. Some of y'all must be taking notes because you, you've got all those... All the traits we've covered so far are extremely good memories, or both. So grab your Bible, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 is where we're going to begin tonight. And we're going to pick up on our next life-changing trait of the Word of God. And I want you to put this in the comments, just like you have before. The Word of God is like a sword. The Word of God is like a sword. Huh? How about that? That's pretty cool, right? <laughs> All right, I'm... I'm I'm going to quit being impressed that I found a plug-in for OBS, but I still think it's really, really cool. The Word of God is like a sword. You can see it on your screen there. The Word of God is like a sword. And we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Laura, Laura's giving me the look over there like, okay, we get it. You can make things come up on the screen and go back away. But hey, you know, I like to celebrate the little wins. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The Word of God is like a sword. Here we go. Let's get into it. For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Verse 13. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. I want to read verse 13 again. Well, verse 12 and 13. For the word of God is living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden, notice that, hidden from his sight. But all things are naked, laid open, open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Hey, Joe, good to see you on. The Word of God is like a sword. The Word of God is like a sword. Now, you might think, well, maybe to your comes to your mind, you think, well, sword, that, that's like an, a weapon, an offensive weapon. That would be something you would use in warfare. And a lot of these traits, we've, if you've noticed, they kind of have what I would call dual truth to them, or duality, or two sides, kind of like if you imagine a, you know, a quarter. Miss Laverne's watching. I was bragging to her about these half-dollar Kennedys that I found when I went through the bank drive-thru. I told her, 
she normally works in the lobby. And I told her whenever I go through the drive-through or when I come in the lobby, I always peek over and look at the change. Uh, I don't know exactly what that would be called, but where they keep change and divide it out. And if I see anything peculiar, I always trade it, right? I've gotten silver dollars, or, or not silver dollars, but uh, not the Sacagaweas. What, who would it be? Susan B. Anthony's. And then, well, last week they had four of the Kennedy half dollars, so I traded that out for a dollar bill. Well, like any coin, there's two sides, right? You, you can even flip. Coin trade. There we go. Coin trade. You can flip a coin, and it's, what is it? Heads or tails? Heads or tails? Well, it's just like these truths that we've been seeing, these life-changing traits, these aspects and characteristics of the Word of God. Think about it. The Word of God's like a mirror. Well, it allows us to see our present state, but it also allows us to transform ourselves. Just like when you go into the mirror in the bathroom, you can see, man, I need to calm my hair. You wake up in the morning, you're half asleep, I need to calm my hair and shave. It doesn't just alert you of what needs to change, it enables you to change. As you're looking in the mirror, you can calm the hair where it needs to go, what hair you might still have. <laughs> you can calm it where it needs to go. You can then shave and make sure you didn't miss a spot. A few weeks ago, uh, upstairs is, you know, we've been up there for about six months now. Naomi's uh, nursery, she's on one end of the hall. Our bedroom's on the other end, and there's a short hallway with a bathroom. Well, I was up there early in the morning, and all you parents and everyone that's raised children, you know how precious a few minutes of time is before the baby wakes up. And you will do whatever you can to make sure that baby doesn't wake up because you want them to be well rested. But also, you've got some things to get done. And, the, and when you have free hands, you can get it completed so much quicker. So I'm in the bathroom getting ready for the day. Just got showered and I was about to shave. Well, whenever Naomi is still asleep, we'll keep, we have two sets of lights in the bathroom, one overhead and one over the shower. Well, we just had the sh one, I had the one over the shower on because the one overhead bleeds through up under the door and she can see the light and throw in a little bit of noise and she's up. So I had that light off. So here I am, I'm shaving and I thought I was doing a great job. I get done shaving, wipe off my face, get dressed, go downstairs, and I look in the mirror downstairs and I have like patches of hair everywhere that I'd missed because I was halfway in the dark. Well, the mirror, it not only allows you to see what's wrong, it allows you to change. And we can see that with so many things. The Word of God uh, is like water. It cleanses us, but also sustains us. And it's the same way with this. The Word of God is like a sword. That's the one we're starting with tonight. The Word of God is like a sword. Yes, it is an offensive weapon. We're going to see that in a minute. But right here in verse 12 of chapter Hebrews chapter 4, this sword is... It is, a, it is an instrument. It's a tool that will lay you open before God. The Word of God is like a surgically sharp sword. It is a two-edged, sharp sword that, notice what it says, it pierces to the division of soul and spirit. Now, what is your soul? Your soul is where your feelings and your passions, your desires, appetites live. 
You know, the soul is the, think about this, the Bible teaches us, we understand that we are a spirit. That's who we really are. You and I are spirit beings. Everyone is. And before you come to Christ, your spirit's dead. You're dead in sins. But that doesn't make you any less of a spirit being. You are. We are a spirit. We have a soul. And our soul is where our will, our emotions, and our mind live. And we live in a body. But we can get so caught up in the materialistic world we live in, and not just like stuff materialistic, but taste, touch, sight, hearing, all those senses, our sense realm can become so domineering that our spirit actually lead, it follows the leading of our flesh and our soul. And that was never meant to be the case. In fact, as a Christian, as a believer, we are required to crucify this flesh and renew our mind, our soul, so that we can be the salvation it comes into our soul. When we receive Christ, our spirit is made alive. We are recreated, made a new creation instantaneously. The Bible tells us that when we receive Jesus, that we were on the cross with him. He, he, he died in our place. But spiritually, he died in our place, so we were crucified with him. The book of Romans chapter 5 and 6 talk about this. We were crucified with Christ. We died with Christ. We were buried with Christ. And now we have been risen with Christ and we're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus spiritually. That is our spiritual reality. But what has to happen is our soul, where our mind is, has to be renewed, changed, brought into line with the Word of God. And our flesh has to be crucified, put to death. We, Dr. Lester Summerall would say this. He was a mighty man of God and a pastor. And he would say this. He, he would say that the soul and the flesh make terrible masters, but wonderful slaves. And that's the order. Uh, I remember Pastor Leon saying this several months back. He said, under the lordship of Jesus Christ, your spirit is in charge. And the word of God will lay open. It will divide. Notice there, verse 12, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit. The word of God will come in and divide between who you are, the spirit, and then anything that needs to be correct or corrected or put in line, the soul. The, the word of God will come in and it will pierce and divide and lay open, just like you can imagine this Bible being laid open. It's the same way with my, my who I am, AJ. The Word of God, when it enters into my life by the power of the Holy Spirit, it lays me open. It lays me bare so that everything can be visibly seen through the lens of the Word of God. So that, and again, it makes that point, division of the soul and spirit of joints and marrow. Think about that. Joints and marrow. Well, a joint, you could think like a bone. And where does the where do you where is marrow? Marrow is inside the bone. So again, joints and marrow is nothing more than spirit and soul. It's separating the inward life from the outward life. The word of God separates, it divides the inward working and inward life of the believer from the outward existence in life. 
so that there's proper order. The Word of God brings proper order to your life. So it makes that point. And then after that, it, it says that it's a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word of God is a discerner. I want you to write this in the comments. Write the word critic. C-R-I-T-I-C. Critic. I believe I got that right. Critic. 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 If I got it wrong, let me know. Type out critic in the comments, though. Critic. The Word of God is like a critic. Now, you might think that that may have a negative connotation today. But what is a critic in a classical sense, in a plain definition? A critic is someone who makes a judgment. They judge, right? You can have a food critic. A food critic who has a column in the newspaper or a magazine. And they go to restaurants and they sit down and they order a variety of foods. Man, that would be a fun job. Pay me to eat and then talk about it. <laughs> and they, they get all these foods and then they do a review and they do a write-up. And I went to so-and-so's place and... I really, this was wonderful, this could have improved, this was terrible. They're a critic. You, got movie, you can have movie critics, right? You, before you go see a movie, you can go search online the name of the movie, and you can get all the critics. And what I have found is usually the higher echelon of movie critics, if they say the movie's terrible, and all the normal people say, man, this movie's awesome, it's usually awesome. Because for whatever reason, there's some of these people who apparently have a job at being a critic and making a judgment. To me, they always like weird stuff, but that's neither here nor there. The Word of God is a critic or a judge, a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know, if you remember, when King Saul fell into sin in the Old Testament, in the book of 1 Samuel, and he departed from the ways of God, The Lord said to Samuel, the prophet, quit crying over Saul. Samuel was distraught. He was sad. He said, quit, spend no more time spending tears uh, over Saul. I've already picked another man to take his place as king. He is a man after my own heart. Now we know, of course you know the story, that's King David. Now, when Samuel, the prophet, goes to anoint the king, King David, he goes to Jesse's house, right? David's father. And he tells Jesse, I've come. He doesn't, at this point, he doesn't know who it is. He just knows it's a son of Jesse. And he tells him, the Lord's coming for me to anoint one of your sons as king. So Jesse brings out all his sons, except for David. He didn't even call him out to begin with. And Samuel's looking over his sons. David hadn't gotten there yet. Jesse calls all his older sons out. And Samuel's looking at his sons, and he, th he thinks in himself, he said, wow, this, this guy looks like a king. This guy looks like a king. Broad shoulders, tall, fierce. He looks like a man's man. He looks like a king. And what does the Lord tell Samuel? Samuel, man looks on the outward appearance. But I look at the heart. I judge the heart. I see the heart of the man. And none of these boys are king 
Jesse, do you not have any more sons? The Lord said it's one of your sons. Well, yeah, I've got David. He's out tending to the sheep. Young little David. Well, David was the man that God chose, the man after God's own heart. And though David was, as the Bible says, small and ruddy, he wasn't just a young teenage boy, God saw his heart. God saw deep inside what no one else could see. The Word of God sees deep inside of us, and it will separate what is right, what's wrong. It will separate what's true and holy and what's not, and it will lay us open, and it will judge our thoughts and our intents. Now, I want you to think about that. Judge our thoughts. I didn't have this written down, but I believe the Lord just put this on my heart. Uh, if, if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, thinking about judging thoughts. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. This is probably familiar to a lot of you. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons, praise God, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. The word of God's like a sword. The weapon that we're using is not a carnal weapon. It's not a physical sword that I'm going to go out and strike down evil people. There are evil people. There are wicked people. There are sinful people. Why are they sinful? They have a nature of sin. They have not been born again. Everyone is born into this earth with the nature of sin from the first Adam. Unless you be born again, you can't inherit the things of God. You won't do what's right because your inside, your nature is wrong. It's dead in sin. Now, notice, we're, we're not taking a sword and, you know, lopping down people literally out there. Rather, we use the Word of God, which is a spiritual weapon. It's not a carnal weapon. It is a spiritual weapon. Verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, my, my Bible says, or of the flesh in the margin, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Wow, that's powerful. When you, when you connect that to Hebrews 4 verse 12, that's powerful. Because the Word of God is a judge. It discerns thoughts and intents. It's a critic of the thoughts and intents that pass through our mind. So think about that. When you have the Word of God in you, stored up in you, uh, the Word of God will be able to judge what is right and wrong that comes across your mind. Because remember, the Word of God is separating the spirit and the soul. So when some crazy thought comes through, I've, I've had this happen many times. It's the way Satan operates. Satan does not just show up at your house and say, Hey there, I'm Satan. I would like to deceive you and take you to hell. How's that sound? You know what? Actually, I'm pretty busy today, Satan. I'm going to have to pass on that. He's not going to do that. The Bible says that he appears like an angel of light. He comes deceptively. Remember in Genesis uh, 2 with Adam and Eve. He's speaking to Eve. He's, 
He's using the serpent to deceive Eve and says, did God really say what you think he said? Notice that. Satan attacked the word. Satan was trying to deceive Eve and he attacked what God said. Satan used words to attack the word. And unfortunately, Eve traded the word of God for a deceptive word, a word from Satan. Verse 2 Corinthians 10 tells us that we have a weapon. We have the sword of the Spirit, is what we're going to see here in a minute. We have the Word of God, which is like a sword. And that sword, the Word of God, is a sword that we can wield to cut down every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Do you see that? 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. The Word of God is a sword. It is a spiritual weapon that you use to strike down and bring into captivity any and every thought that it tries to exalt itself against the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God. The knowledge of God. The understanding of who God is. The realization, the thoughts and understanding and concept of knowing who God is. That's what Satan is trying to subvert. Satan is trying to subvert. He's trying to deceive. He's trying to sow seeds of deception so that the knowledge that you have will be replaced by a lie. Because what it, it comes down to, what you think about is what you'll do. Your thoughts, your thoughts will cause you to act a certain way. How you think will cause you to act a certain way. And the more you act a certain way, you build a habit. And habits build a life. But it goes back to the root, the thought. And Satan wants to come in and he wants to exalt a thought up against the knowledge of God to replace it. Think about this. Something else that just came in my heart here. Ephesians chapter 1. This is the prayer that Paul was praying for the church of Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 1. I'll start in verse 17. He's praying this prayer. He said, I, I don't ever fail to give mention of you before the Lord, constantly giving thanks to you. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The Holy Spirit, moving on the word of God, brings wisdom and revelation of who God is, what he has done and is doing in you, the hope of his calling in us eternity, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in us. We are his inheritance and he is our inheritance. The spirit of God dwelling in man is the inheritance that we receive. 
who makes available to us all the promises of God. And also to know, there's three things, the exceeding great power that is working in us, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is working on the inside of you when you believe on Jesus. And it never stops working. The power of God is working on the inside of you the moment you receive Christ. And Paul's praying a prayer here, Lord, let the people of God get a spirit of wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of who you are, of the knowledge of God. That's the very thing that Satan's trying to attack, is your understanding God. Because if you get more understanding, more revelation of who God is, His will his desire for who you are, you, this word becomes more and more alive to you, then you become more dangerous against the kingdom of hell. You become more powerful in the kingdom of heaven. Praise God. The, what God wants to come to pass in your life comes more exceedingly fast, exceptionally fast, it takes place in your life now because you've received an understanding in what you know you can then believe for. I mentioned Dr. Lester Summerall. He, he would say this as well. He would say this. He would say, you can only have faith for what you know. This is why the more every time I open up this book and I'm reading it and I'm studying it and I'm meditating it, and, and, I, and I, when I'm praying, I open up my Bible and I pray the Word. I'm, I'm becoming more alive. I, I'm getting a better understanding. I'm getting a, a more firm foundation in who God is and He in me. And the Word of God is like a sword that it will strike and cut down any thought that will try to exalt itself against the truth. This is the truth. The Word of God is the truth. And if any thought tries to compete with it, the Word will cut it down. That was more like a, that was more of a karate chop, wasn't it? <laughs> the Word of God will cut, maybe I should have double-handed, Braveheart's sword. You know, Mel Gibson, Braveheart, it's got that massive sword. I've always always wondered because when he's riding on the horse, that sword's just slapping the horse. I mean, obviously it's a movie, but in real life, could that unsheathed blade not hurt the horse? Just a thought, just a thought. But who am I? I didn't. I wasn't the one to you know fight for the independence of Scotland in the was it 1300s. I digress. The word of God is like a sword that cuts down any devilish, deceptive thought. This is why it's so important. The Bible tells us, we looked at this. Psalms 119, Lord, I hide your word in my heart so that I don't sin against you. When you get, from what I, from what I just spoke about, it's even more alive in my heart right now. The word of God's like a sword. And it's hidden in my heart so that I won't sin against you. How does sin come to pass? Well, the Bible tells us. First, sin comes as temptation. Is it the book of James? Sin, just like the Word of God, 
we, we studied that last week, right? The Word of God is like a seed. Well, sin comes in seed form. Man, get a hold of this. This is powerful. Sin comes in seed form. What is the seed of sin? Temptation. Temptation is the seed of sin. And if you allow temptation, praise God, if you allow temptation to take root in your life, it will grow and mature and produce sin. Now think about this. No one ever, no one wakes up and says, you know, uh, I'm going to go murder someone. No one just wakes up one day, totally normal person, you know, stand-up member of the community, good Christian person, deacon at the church, coaches the little league football team, da-da-da-da, perfect person. They just wake up one day, I'm going to go kill some people. No. News may try to say that, but that, that he, he just snapped. No, people don't just snap. That's not how the mind of man works. God created the mind of man, and that is not how it works. The mind of man, the mind of people, has a creative ability to set their thoughts on a thing and mull it over in the mind over and over till you build up enough gumption and desire that you act out what you've been thinking. And these people don't just snap. They have been thinking about it. They have been pondering it. It has been in their heart. They've been processing it out. And people, uh, these people, they talk about this. You know, these documentaries of these serial killers, they're in jail. And so why'd you do this? Well, it started off, first it started off with, I just thought one day, like if I killed someone, what would I do? It was just a thought. It was just like, to me, it was a playful thought. If I killed someone, what would I do with their body? They didn't go kill the person and then think about it. This, this is an actual account of, of the, a serial killer that was picking up these uh, people walking. Uh, you know, they were just needing a ride, thumbing a ride, and he'd pick them up and then kill them. And he said, well, one day I was just thinking, well, if I did that, what would I do with their body? It began with a thought. The thought life is... The place where action is conceived. You say, well, no, you're just thinking about it. You're not doing anything. No, but before you do something, you're going to have to think about it. Before you decide to go do something, you're going to have to think about it. Even if it's become a habit. You know, maybe you at, at this point you have a habit of doing something to where you don't even think about it. For instance, tomorrow when I get up, I'll get up tomorrow morning around 4.30 or so, I'll get up. I'm a morning person. I'm not a night person. I'm slowly waning in energy. And you say, but AJ, it's only 20 minutes to 9. And I'm saying, my pajamas upstairs are calling me. <laughs> I'm not a night person. I'm a morning person. So I get up in the morning, and again, not thinking, I'll get up, go downstairs, drink two glasses of water, pour water in my kettle, turn on the stove, go get my Bible, begin to pray. And I'm half asleep when I'm doing it. But before it became a habit, I had to stop and think, okay, 
I'm thirsty. I need to get water, right? This is a good habit for me. I've been doing that for years. Just immediately drink water. It helps me wake up, gets everything moving. But before it became a habit, it was an intentional decision. It was a thought. I read some articles. Hey, you should start off the day reading, you know, drinking water. It's good for you. It kicks your metabolism going, gets you awake, all this good stuff for you. I read something, thought about it, and then I acted on it. Oh, I, you know, same way with the coffee. Uh, I use a French press, so I have to boil water in a kettle. Well, before I did that, I thought, you know what? I want to try French press. What do I need? I had to go read about it, find out what it was, go to the store and buy it. And now, what has now become a habit originally started off as a thought. You know, I'd like to try French press coffee. It starts off as a thought. And the Word of God is like a sword that will cut down the thoughts that raise themselves up to compete with the Word of God. And that really is the whole game of it, isn't it? When it comes to your thought life. You know, I say game, you might think, well, that's not a good word, game. Our life's much more than a game, isn't it? Well, Paul made that comparison. He said, you know, a boxer who is boxing to win a championship, to win something temporal, not eternal, but just for this life, he will discipline his body. And he doesn't just, he doesn't just fight against the air. He doesn't just shadow box against the air for the fun of it. He's training himself. He will... Think about it, a boxer, you know, one, any of the greats, Muhammad Ali, Mike Tyson, Sugar Ray uh, Rob, uh, Robinson, um, is it Robinson or Leonard? Uh, all, all these, <laughs> John Sullivan, um, these different boxers, these great, uh, Rocky Marciano that the movie Rocky, Sylvester Stallone is based on, all these greats, they disciplined themselves. They woke up at a certain time. They ate a certain kind of food. They trained in a certain way. They would restrict their diet. If they needed to cut weight, they needed to add on some muscle, they would eat a certain way. They would train in the gym in the morning, then they'd take a break. And when they took a break, it was on purpose. They would go you know, sit in the sauna. They'd go get a towel wrap, get massages. They'd shower down, cool down, ice, hot water, whatever. They'd run early in the morning, run late at night. They'd work the heavy bag. They'd work mitts. They had a reason and a purpose for what they did because they had a goal in mind. Uh, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 9. He said, a boxer, he's fighting and he's training so that he can win something that is temporal just in this life. And said the same way with a racer, a runner. You run to win. You run a race to win it. He said, how much more should we, who are running an eternal race, discipline ourselves, lest we do all this and then be a castaway? Have all this knowledge, but then not act on it, not receive what God has made available for us. Or even worse, as the book of Hebrews says, having the knowledge of God and salvation of God, tread over the blood of Christ and reject it and become a reprobate, though knowing what is right, refusing to receive it, or walking away from it. And, and Paul's making this point. These people, they're doing all this naturally. How much more do we do it spiritually? In the Word of God, reading your Bible, it sounds so simple. Reading, you know, I'm going to finish up. I've got Eight chapters left. I'm in the book of Acts. I have eight chapters left and I'll be read, done with the book of Acts, which will complete my Bible reading for the year. 
which I'm kind of pumped because I'm like six weeks ahead. And then I'm thinking what I'm going to do just the next six weeks or so. I'm just going to study. Uh, there's a reason behind it, but particularly the book of Hebrews. And, um, and, and just keep reading over that over the next couple of weeks. But why do I read through the Bible cover to cover? Well, it started with a thought. I thought three years ago, uh, I got to a point, I said, you know what? I've read a lot of the Bible. I've read through the New Testament. I've read the Old Testament here and there. But I don't know if I've ever actually just read from cover to cover. I mean, I've read the Bible and been in church and studied the Word and loved God for years. But I don't know if I've ever disciplined myself to say, I'm going to read from here to there. So I decided three years ago, I said, you know what, I'm going to do that. And in three years, this will be my fourth time going through the Word. It first started off as a thought. You know what, I should do that. Because I know some people who don't even proclaim to believe in Jesus that have read through the Bible at least once. And surely if they can do it just to find what they would think points to criticize it, I can do it if I believe in it. So I did. And as I've done it, it has become a discipline. It's become a habit. It's become something that I do in the day. But what I've realized is so much more powerful than just saying, well, yeah, I read it because I believe it. The Word has changed me, transformed me, and it has laid me open like a sword from the top of my head straight down. It's cut me open, laid me open so that, as we saw in Hebrews 4.13, nothing is hidden. Nothing is hidden from God because the Word goes in and cuts it open and He can see everything. And He will judge. All right, AJ. This is good. You're good right here. You are a man after my own heart in this area. Right here, though, we need to get that out. These thoughts, these aren't good thoughts. These, you know, whether, whether it's impure thoughts or just ungodly thoughts, uh, unscriptural thoughts. Well, you know, sometimes God sends sickness to teach us things. Ain't gonna find that in here. What about Job, brother? Job didn't have the word of God, one. Two, the, uh, he did not have the blood of Christ to appropriate his healing atonement, which Christ paid for by stripes. But even before Christ, healing was made available all through the Old Testament. Three million Israelites were completely healed when they ate the first ever Passover, when God told them to eat it and they would go out in the strength thereof. Three million some out of Israelites young to old, all went in the strength of God, and they did not faint in their strength for 40 years in the wilderness, though the only ones that died were the ones that sinned, and God had to get them out because they sinned. But even then, God was healing people. You think, what about Job? When Job was under the protection of God, he was whole in his body, wasn't he? And then we see here that Satan was allowed to touch him. But when God restores everything, he restored everything, including his health. So if you got a thought in there, some dead, wicked, religious thought, well, God's probably just teaching me something. God wants to teach you by his word and use the teacher, the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would come, which he is now, that Jesus was talking about today, and the Holy Spirit is in the believer to reveal to you what the Word of God says, means, and has for your life and how you should live and draw close to God. So if you've got an ungodly thought, and I mean that in the truest sense, you might think, well, that's, you're talking about a sinful thought. No, I'm talking about a thought that is in contradiction to the Word of God. 
well, you know, how can you have a happy marriage? You know, I mean, I got to go home to the old lady, the old ball and chain. <laughs> That's stupid. No, the Bible tells me in Proverbs 18, he who finds a wife has found a good thing and has obtained favor from the Lord. The book of Proverbs also says that a man, a righteous man, can trust in his wife. He can trust in her. The book of Proverbs again says that you are to enjoy the wife of your youth. That don't sound like an old ball and chain. Maybe if you weren't calling her an old ball and chain, she would be a little bit more happy to see you too, friend. Have you ever thought you might not be at this moment in time in your current state of condemnation, very much of a, a catch at the moment? I try to make sure I, I'm always a catch. If you're watching, Laura, she, she went upstairs. If you're watching, Laura, I want you to know I'm always trying to make sure I'm a catch. And you will be able to hook me every time you cast out that rod. <laughs> so I, can, I know if she's watching, she's rolling her eyes right now. Here we go. The Word of God tells you you can have a strong marriage. The Word of God says, train up your children. And when they're old, they will not depart from what you've taught them, from the things of God. So train, not, not leave them, drop them off at the church, hope, hope everything works well. Not, you know, once every 10 years, read a devotion to them. Train them up in the ways of God. Let them see you praying and studying the Word. Let them see you living out the Word of God. Let them see you, hey, let's go, it's church. It's church day. No, it's Sunday. Yeah, that's church day. Or whenever your church meets. Most everyone meets on Sundays. Hey, well, let's go. We're going to Bible study. Yes, you're going on that trip. Yes, you're going to teen camp. Yes, you're going to read your Bible. Yes, we're not watching that filth. Yes, we're going to watch this instead. Yes, we listen to praise music and have praise dance at the house. Why? I'm training up my child so that they won't depart from it. And for me to think, well, you know, my child is going to be do whatever they want to do. I can't control them. that. I'm going to train and form and fashion and lovingly pray over them and prayer sometimes with fasting for their future and speak into their life and correct things that are wrong because I'm not going to allow a thought to creep in my mind that my child's going to go to hell. Not on my watch. And I can't allow any thought that tries to conspire or, or elevate itself above the Word of God. I must use the Word like a sword to cut that thing down at the root. Ephesians 6 verse 17. There's two places in the Bible where this Greek word, Hebrews 4.12, where it says it is sharper than a two-edged sword, that Greek word is used twice in the New Testament. There in Hebrews 4.12 and in Ephesians 6.17. I make that point because you'll see the word, the English word sword, all through the New Testament. But there's only two instances where the word of God is like a sword. There's only two scriptures in the New Testament where we see that. It's Hebrews 4.12, which we read, and Hebrews 6.17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Notice this. 
the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. There's two times that Greek word sword in this instance is used, and it's both times it's talking about the Word of God. The Word of God is like a sword. You take the sword of the Spirit, you take the Word of God to do what? Ephesians 6.18, so that you can pray. You take up the sword of the Spirit, you take up the Word of God so that you can pray. Well, pray what? Jesus taught us how to pray. Pray in thanksgiving. We're going to cut down any thoughts that might be contrary to the nature of God. So when I begin to pray every day, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for who you are. I give you glory. I thank you that you're my Father, and I am a child of you. I thank you that I cry out, Abba, Father, by the Holy Ghost. I thank you, Father God, that you're my Father. You're ruling and reigning in heaven. I thank you, Lord. All the nations will bow their knee to you. I thank you, Lord, that you are my healer. You're my provider. You're my sustainer. You cleanse me and sanctify me. You're my righteousness. You're my peace. You are the creator. You are the righteous one, the most high God. You, you are the one that never leaves me nor forsakes me. You are my shepherd leading me and guiding me. Any other thought that would say differently than those things, which are all names of God found in Scripture, I'm going to cut it down. I don't, you know, maybe God don't like me. I guess God's just out to get me. God ain't out to get me. The only thing that's out to get me is the blessing that is overtaking my life. The power and love of God that is overtaking my life. And, it, and I ain't running from it, friend. I'm not, it ain't trying to get me. I'm running towards it, and it's coming towards me. What else do we pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I can see in my family, this is your will, that we love you, we be strong in you, that we love one another, that we're kind towards one another. This is your will in the church, that we all, that at my church, that we be in a constant state of revival. What is revival? A renewed obedience to the word of God, that we would obey the word of God, that we would have a spirit of wisdom and knowledge of who you are. Lord, I pray this for my leaders in my city, county, state, nation, that they would do what's right. They would do what's righteous. And if they don't, Lord, remove them. You take the word of God like a sword and begin to cut down things spiritually in the avenue of prayer. You use it like a sword to cut through anything that would stand in opposition through the means of prayer. The Word of God is like a sword. And it, and, and it will cut through and judge what's right and wrong. Andrew Murray, mighty man of God, he wrote this. Judge not your life by your heart, you know, unrenewed mind, by what What the church says, so judge not your life by the unrenewed mind, by what the church says, or the so-called Christian world, but by what the Word says. Judge everything according to the basis of Scripture. Don't make a judgment. Something clearly stated in the Word of God, I don't get to pick and choose. I don't get to say, well, you know, I think this is my opinion. This is my opinion of it. It, my opinion don't matter. The Word of God is true, whether I agree or not. Now, I made a choice I'm going to agree with the Word of God because I want to agree with God. 
like Joshua said, whose side are you on? And he didn't know it was the captain of the Lord of the host. He didn't know it was the Lord at the moment. But he's making that, hey, pick one side, which side you're on. I pick to be on the side of God. Now, here we come. We're coming to a close. This is going to be a short one here. Tenth trait that will change your life when you see how it operates in the Word of God. The Word of God is like, get ready for it, a bow. Habakkuk, 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 3-9. The Word of God is like a bow. Put that in the comment section for me. The Word of God is like a bow. And hopefully I can talk long enough for us all to find Habakkuk which is somewhere in between the big old prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, and Matthew, right? And those were those little prophets you got to find. Put that in the comment section. I'll put it up one more time. The Word of God is like a bow. The Word of God is like a bow. Habakkuk 2.9. Hey, Miss Beverly. Habakkuk 2.9. The Word of God is like a bow. Habakkuk 3.9. I'm sorry. Did I put that right? 3.9. It was written correctly. 3.9. I said it incorrectly. Habakkuk 3.9. We're going to start at verse 8. But the verse 9 is where it says it's like a bow. Verse 8. O Lord, you were displeased with the rivers. Was your anger against the river? Was your wrath against the sea that you rode on your horses, your chariots of salvation? Your bow. 3.9, Habakkuk 3.9. Your bow was made ready. Oaths, decrees, words were sworn over your arrows. You divided the earth with rivers. Notice this. The mountains saw you and trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered its voice, lifted its hand on high. The sun and moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of your arrows they went. At the shining of your glittering spear. You marched through the land in indignation. You trampled the nations in anger. You went forth for the salvation of your people. For salvation with your anointed. You struck the head from the house of the wicked. By laying bare from foundation to neck. You thrust through with his own arrows. The head of his villages, they came out like whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was like feasting on the poor in secret. You walked through the sea with your horses, through the heap of great waters. When I heard, my body trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered my bones. I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. I don't know if you've ever read. Hey, good to see you, Miss. All, we, we actually did a study in men's Bible study last year through all these prophets, minor prophets. Man, it's powerful. But Habakkuk, he, he's giving this, it's almost like a song. Chapter 3 is almost like a prayer, like a, a song or an ode or, or a ballad. He, he's, he's praying this prophetic song out of how awesome God is, of how powerful and majestic God is. And he's praying out this prayer, and he's saying, Lord, 
you know, you went through, you, you, you moved rivers and seas, part of the Red Sea, when they left Egypt. You made the sun stand still, verse 11. Joshua, when he was fighting, and Joshua looked up and commanded the sun to stop until the battle was over. And then he goes through 12 and through 16. All these different nations, when they're going into the promised land, all these Canaanite uh, nations and Edom, and Cush, and these different nations that came against the people of Israel. And Habakkuk is saying, just like you did it then, I'm believing you'll do it in a time to come, because I'm hearing about the Babylonians that are supposed to take us away. And, uh, and Habakkuk actually says, you know what? Even in the midst of this destruction because of sin, I'm going to rejoice in you because you're the God of my salvation. But the point we're seeing here is that God's word is like a bow. It's like a bow and arrow. Now think about this. Both of these traits that we've seen tonight, the Word of God is like a sword, that's a weapon. The Word of God is like a bow and an arrow. We saw that in 2 Corinthians 10 that the Bible tells us that our weapons are not carnal, but they're spiritual. Now think about it. We, we talked in depth. We studied in depth here just for the past some odd 30, 40 minutes here. That the word of God's like a sword that it will cut, it will lay open bare, and it will cut down thoughts that are against the thoughts of God, against the knowledge of God. The word of God is also like a bow and an arrow in that it does this. The word of God can be sent forth, can be sent out against its enemies. And that's why I, I took us to, to Ephesians 6. Take the sword of the Spirit so that you can pray with all kinds of prayers and supplications. Part of prayer. In fact, I would say this. The majority of the prayers that a Christian prays should not be for themselves. What? What do you mean not for himself? Really, when it comes right down to it, as a Christian, as a believer, as a spirit-filled, born-again believer, God indwelling in this human earthly vessel, this temple, as a believer, really, I manage my life by obeying the Word of God. I structure and I do the Word of God. I live and do what God tells me to do. I don't need to go to God and pray, Lord, make me do this. Lord, I'm praying that you make me do this. God's not going to make you do it. He's going to allow you an opportunity to obey, and whether you obey or not, he will either promote or demote <laughs> demote you. I don't want to be demoted. I want to be promoted. But the word of God's not going to say, okay, I'll come in here and make you do it. If God was going to make you do something, why wouldn't he make every person on the face of the planet do right? He has given you a choice. Now, when it comes to your prayer life, there's very few things I'm going to pray for myself. And I'm not saying that, oh, I, I'd hardly pray for myself. When you get that right understanding that uh, God's instructed me what to do, so I just need to do it. That leaves so much of your prayer life to pray for others. I'm going to pray for my wife. I'm going to pray for my daughter. I'm going to pray for my family. I'm going to pray for my church. I'm going to pray for the body of Christ in Lawrence County and in the nation. I'm going to pray for those in authority and leaders in authority. 1 Timothy 2. I'm going to pray for opportunities of evangelism and outreach. I just got that answer prayer to that, I believe. I truly believe that. I got invited to, to speak at uh, Lawrence FCA last Thursday, and that was so fun. 
And, and I don't know all those kids that were there, what kind of backgrounds they have. Some church, some not. So that was an, I've been asking God, give me open doors of opportunities. So there was an open door. Now think about it. If I was just praying unscriptural prayers over myself, Lord, make me do this. Lord, change me. Lord, did this, that. I'm not saying God won't change. He will. He'll reveal something that needs to change. But part of the change is you and I making a change in what we do, what we say, how we think. And that leaves us an opportunity to take the word of God like a bow and arrow and point it toward a direction, target it, and let it go. I'm sending the word of God this way towards my family like like a polished arrow. I'm shooting the word of God in the arena of prayer, in the arena of intercession and supplication. I am praying and petitioning God here. And think about it. I thought of this as well. Trust me. We're, I saw Dad on here. Be fair, Dad. I've not said I've come to a close yet. I'm bringing it to a close. But this is not a closing in itself. That would not be true if I said I'm ending here. But I'm getting real close. But I'm also getting real excited. <laughs> the word of, I was thinking about this. The Word of God is like a sword. How do you use a sword? Did you throw a sword across the battlefield? You know, imagine, maybe you've seen some medieval movie or I talked about Braveheart or whatever. You see these battlefields, Roman, Roman centurions or whatever it is. Does anyone with a sword take that sword and see a guy 100 yards off and go, and throw the sword? No, you'll be dead. The sword, they have the sword for close combat. The word of God's like a sword for myself to cut me open and lay me open. And when you speak the word of God, it does the same thing. Book of Acts, there's three different times where different, the people, Peter, Stephen, and uh, Philip, they're speaking the word of God. And it said that the people heard it, it cut open their heart. That word of, the word of God, uh oh, Laura says it's time for bed. I'm getting all riled up, Laura. The word of God's like a sword that it will lay open and it will strike through. But it's for close. Think about it. In the idea, the sword is close combat. But the bow and arrow, what is it? It's long range. The power of prayer. God has given us the privilege to pray for other people. God has given us the privilege to pray, to intercede, and supplicate. Those are both types of prayers for other people. God has given us the privilege to pray his word for other people. So though I'm not even there in the room with them, I can pray. Lord, I was praying this with a precious woman just earlier this week. Lord, I'm believing you're going to send laborers. Matthew 9, 37, 38, it talks about pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers. (laughs) Money at least... Got money at least three on on tonight. Three closings. Dad says, all right, we're taking bets. Three closings. Well, I get to three closings. (laughs) I will probably bet against myself on that just to make the money. God has given us the privilege to pray for other people. And even though I'm not there, again, I says, praying with this lady for a family member. Lord, send a laborer. Matthew 9 says that. Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into his harvest. 
Lord, I'm believing that you're sending laborers along his path so that he's getting the word of God from every direction. So that's me asking God to fulfill his word on that person's behalf. I'm not there. I'm not in the town where that man lives. But I was able to take the word of God like a bow and arrow and shoot it long range. Again, going back to that battle analogy, the sword strikes down in close combat. But anytime in this medieval type warfare, you would always put your archers in the back. The archers are in the back. They're not up front. They'll get cut down with the sword. The archers are in the back and they lob out these arrows 100 yards out. And they're picking off guys before they even cross the battlefield. <clears throat> they're run, you know, the enemy's running across towards towards these folks, and they're shooting arrows, and they're just dropping like flies before they even get in contact with the sword. The word of God is like a bow and an arrow in that same sense that you can direct and target where you want to send the word, and you send the word by prayer. You send the word by speaking it. You send that word. It, when you witness to someone and you tell them and speak the word of God and tell them the truth, it's like an arrow that's being shot out of a bow. It's a polished arrow that's going to hit its target. Wow, that is powerful. That gets me excited. Because the word of God is a weapon and it will do what it said it'll do. We saw that last week. The word of God's not going to return void. The word of God will not return void. It will do and accomplish what it's sent forth to do. And you can send the word of God forward like a polished arrow out of a bow. Like a polished arrow out of a bow. And it will hit the target. It will hit the target. And this is where I'm going to close. Psalms chapter 7. Psalms chapter 7. Verse 9. Let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end. And everybody said, Amen. Lord, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end. But establish the just. This is, this is David praying a prayer against the enemies of God. For the righteous God tests... Look at there. The righteous God tests the hearts and minds, the most secret part of the man. The word of God is like a sword that cuts us open and it judges. It's a critic. It discerns thoughts and intents of the heart. For the righteous God, Psalms 7 verse 9, for the righteous God tests, determines, the hearts and secret inward parts of the man, of the mind, of the man, heart of man. Verse 10, my defense is of God who saves the upright in heart. That's why we want our heart to be clean because we want to be in a place that God protects us. We don't want to be out of the will of God. Verse 11, God is a just God and God is angry with the wicked every day. Verse 12, he does not turn back. He will sharpen his sword and he bends his bow and makes it ready. 
He also prepares for himself instruments of death. He makes his arrows into fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked brings forth iniquity. He conceives trouble and brings forth falsehood. The wicked does. God makes a pit and digs it out. Or excuse me, he, not God. The, the wicked makes a pit and digs it out and has fallen into the very ditch that he made. The wicked people dig a pit for the righteous and they end up falling in it themselves. Every, I pray that prayer all the time. I pull that bow with a polished arrow and release it. Lord, everything that Satan has planned to, to, to use against my life, I believe he will fall in it himself. Every ensnarement and every trap he has laid out, the path that you lead me is, is beyond and around those things and he will entrap him his own self. I pray violent prayers because I believe the word of God. I heard someone say, it was on Twitter, someone didn't say it, they posted on Twitter. It's not right to play to pray uh, the mean. They said they said it was mean prayers. You can't. You should. A Christian can't pray mean prayers. I'm not praying a mean prayer. I'm praying a truthful prayer. Lord, let wickedness be destroyed. Now I'm praying that the wicked, the people who do wicked things, will be saved. But if they refuse to, Lord, remove them from my path. Remove them out of my way. Let them fall in their own ensnarements. Let the pit that they dug, they fall in it to themselves. Verse 16, his trouble shall return upon his own head. This is the wicked. His violent dealing shall come down on his crown. And David ends it with this. I'll praise the Lord according to his righteousness. And I'll sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. He makes this prayer. Lord, I can see you. You bless the righteous. You judge the hearts of men and you determine whether they're for you or against you. And Lord, those that are against you, who have set themselves against the things of God, I can see you, Lord, you're sharpening your sword and you're bending your bow. It's interesting because when you go to the book of Revelation, Jesus comes back, Revelation 19. All right, that was one. Psalms, Psalm 7 was one. Two. Second closing. <laughs> okay. Psalms 19, verse 15. Not Psalms, Revelation. That one didn't count. That was a miss. I misspoke. I didn't add a third verse in there. Second closing, Revelation 19, 15. Now out of his mouth, Christ, now out of Christ's mouth goes a sharp sword, a two-edged sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh written, King of kings and Lord of lords. When Jesus returns... At the second coming, you know, after the rapture, after the tribulation, he comes to strike down the Antichrist and all the nations that have aligned themselves with wickedness. What does he strike them with? Out of his mouth, out of his mouth comes a sword. 
the word. He will declare judgment. He will decree. God, Jesus is going to speak a judgment. And the word of God, like a sword, will strike the nations that have made a point to stand with the Antichrist and against him. And he will knock down and demolish and destroy and set up his kingdom with his word, which is like a sword. <laughs> yeah, I, we, I got to go. I've got one more to go, don't I, Dad? And you'll finally make some money on this. But I just closed the Bible on that. So maybe next week. <laughs> the word of God's like a sword. You use it to cut down any thought that opposes the knowledge of God. You use that word, that sword to cut open yourself. When you speak it, it cuts open the hearts of other people. And the word of God is like a bow and an arrow that you can target and send it that way. That it will go to the target. It will hit the destination. And it will do what God said it will do. Well, I've done it again. That's three. Todd, that, how's that three? How is that three? I didn't add another one, did I? I'll Look, we'll call it three. Who's paying me, though? If I bet it against myself, who's going to pay me as well? We'll have, we'll have to settle up these bets later on. Afterwards, after church, we'll settle up all, all the payouts on the bets. <laughs> hey, I'm so thankful that you watched tonight. I'm so thankful that you tuned in. If you haven't shared the broadcast, go ahead. Click the share. You'd be amazed how many people watch the replays. And, of course, uh, if you want to hear this again, you're more than welcome to view it on YouTube, on Facebook, where you're viewing now, uh, YouTube or Facebook. It'll be up there in the replays. We put them in playlists so that you can easily find all the different subjects. Pastor Leon, he's been teaching on the plan of the ages. I think he did part 13 last night, I think, if I'm correct. That's awesome to sit and watch him teach on the chart. If you haven't seen that, go check that out. Authority and Power of God's Word is our series on Sunday that he's been going through the past five weeks. A lot of different things available there. And then, of course, if you prefer podcasts, if you want to listen, you know, like Miss Shirley Cook, she's listening while she's work. You can do that same type thing. That's what I do all the time, podcasts. Just hit it, go, put in the headphones, go do something. Um, and also, you can find... Uh, Gospel Tabernacle Church, anywhere there's podcasts. And you can find my podcast, Faith for My Generation, where you can uh, hear all these teachings that I've been doing there as well, as well as something I've been doing called The Wake Up Call uh, that I'm doing on my personal page, just another way to reach more people. And it's on Faith for My Generation podcast as well. Uh, and there'll be some exclusive things that I have prepared that are going to be coming up on there in the next few weeks. So subscribe. Subscribe to Faith for My Generation. Subscribe to Gospel Tabernacle Church podcast. If you haven't subscribed on YouTube but you're watching, click the subscribe button. Click the like button. Share it. Do all those things that make these content creators happy that they always talk about when you're watching. You know, ring the bell, all this stuff. Anyway, I digress. I'm so thankful that you joined me tonight. Let me pray for you, and then you can go on to bed, or if you're a night owl, stay up for a little bit longer. Lord, we thank you for your word, God. I thank you that you send forth your word into our hearts to judge us, to judge our hearts, Lord. And even now, that's our prayer, God. If there's anything in us that doesn't bring you glory, 
that doesn't draw us closer to you, Lord. Pluck it out. Remove it. We don't want anything to do with it. We want what is inside of us to be pure and holy, washed by the water of the word, cleansed by the blood of Christ, so that we can do what you've set us in this earth to do, which is win people to Christ and bring people into your church so that we can inhabit heaven for all of eternity with you. In Jesus' name, if you believe that, won't you type amen in the comment section. Hey, I want to say thank you for joining me on this episode of Faith for My Generation podcast channel. Please do us a favor. Leave a five-star review. It helps us get this message of the gospel and the word of God out in front of more people. It really does help. And until next time, remember, we are the faithful. God bless.